Story today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. In the midst of protests and mass organizing around a serious overhaul of our country's policing and systemic racialized oppression, we have found ourselves back in a really familiar dialogue. This one about statues and other institutions that celebrate problematic figures in our history. Only this time, it's less of a debate and more just people starting to take action. Across the country, groups are damaging, defacing, and tearing down statues of Christopher Columbus, who for many is a figure inextricably tied to some of the earliest systematic oppression and genocide carried out on this continent. Earlier this week, the city of Detroit removed its bust of Columbus, which had been on display at Jefferson and Randolph since the 1980s. Here to talk with us about Columbus and other contentious figures we have immortalized throughout this city are two people who think a lot about this subject. Longtime Detroit journalist Bill McGraw and Black Scroll Network history and tours educator and historian Jaman Jordan. A bit later in the hour, we're going to continue this conversation with Bridge Magazine's indigenous affairs reporter Megan Lada Gupta. But first, Jaman and Bill, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, thank, thank you. you for having me, Steve. Yes. Good to be here. Great to have you with us. Uh, Jamon, I'm going to start uh, with you. Um, this has been a long time coming. A group called the Raise Up Collective partnered with a coalition of cultural and religious and social justice organizations to petition the city back in 2017 over this Columbus bust. And there were issues with it even before then. Let's talk about the history of this particular statue. Yes. Um, thank you for having me on the show, and I'm glad to be here to talk to you about it. And we, I'm glad to be here with Bill, uh, who <laughs> I learned so much from. Um, and uh, so the Columbus statue was placed on Washington Boulevard in 1910. So this is during a time at the height of Italian immigration to the city of Detroit. And so the Columbus statue is really part of the honoring of the Italian um, residents and Italian immigrants to the city of Detroit in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And so it originally was on Washington Boulevard, just down the block from another statue that we'll probably get a chance to talk to about today, the Alexander McComb statue. Mm -hmm. um, it was taken down in 1987 to get restored or refurbished. And in 1987, it goes back up in 1988 at the corner of Randolph and Jefferson, which is actually closer to the center of the Italian um, neighborhood, the Italian um, um, neighborhood that they were living in in the late 1800s and early 1900s, which is really kind of close to Greektown, Black Bottom. That area is where most of the Italian immigrants were living in the late 1800s, early 1900s. But of course, Columbus, uh, between 1910 and 1987, had gone through, we learned a lot about Columbus <laughs> in those 70 years. And we've learned a lot since 1987 till now. So, um, Columbus, of course, is a highly problematic figure. Columbus himself is problematic. His four voyages to the United, to the not to the United States, but to the Caribbean, um, and and being considered the discoverer of the Americas. We know um, what ends up happening to the Taino um, people in the Caribbean. Um, many of them are going to be forced into slavery. The form of slavery that is created is called the encomienda which is forcing them to bring a certain amount of gold or a certain amount of food. And then there's a high level of punishment, including the cutting off of limbs if people don't bring it. 
Um, so he introduced this form of slavery into the Caribbean, this encomienda system that he's uh, he's Italian, but he's coming here um, with the power of the Spanish mm. government. And we know that Spain will end up replacing this form of slavery in the Caribbean with the enslavement of Africans in the Caribbean. And so, uh, and then other countries will do the same. So uh, uh, France will bring slavery into the Caribbean in Martinique, Saint-Domingue, in um, um, Guadalupe. And we know Saint-Domingue is now known as Haiti. The British will do it in the islands, Jamaica, the Virgin Islands. Um, the Dutch would do it in Curacao and Suriname. And so we'll get this full-blown um, slave trade taking place in the Caribbean after Columbus's arrival in 1492 and his other three voyages. So that's Columbus the person. Mm -hmm. he, and, and, we, and millions of people paid the price for his so-called discovery. Mm -hmm. And of course, he didn't even know that he was in a new land. So because of Columbus, who thought he was in the Indies, near India, he called the people Los Indios, the Indians. So now we have a group of people in the Western Hemisphere who are known as Indians or American Indians, and we have a people in the in the um, Far East who are also known as Indians, who are more correctly known as Indians. And so um, Columbus himself and his legacy, the legacy of European discovery, nothing's important until white folks find it. That whole legacy is a problem. So on one end, Columbus, the man is a problem, but his legacy is an even larger problem than the man himself. Yeah. So so removing the statue is uh, one step. And John Roach, who's the <coughs> spokesperson for Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan, told the Metro Times that uh, he, the mayor just decided it ought to be placed in storage to give us time to reevaluate the appropriate long-term disposition of this uh, of the statue. But you know, clearly there is pressure to keep this gone permanently. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd love for both of you to talk about the context uh, in which this is happening. It's not just Columbus, as Jamon said. We've got a lot of things around town that celebrate people whose lives were really, really complicated by oppression, by racism. Uh, doesn't mean they didn't do great things in, mm -hmm. in other ways, but that that legacy uh, it stains, uh, it stains them and it stains those celebrations. Uh, Jamal, I'll start with you. Talk about Detroit and the ways in which we are maybe getting that wrong right now. Yeah. So, um, when Columbus went up and many of the other statues went up, many of them went up as nods to these people who were here. Um, so Columbus is considered a, a, a hero for Italian Americans in many cases. Um, and people like Tadeusz Kosciuszko and um, Kazimierz Pulaski, who are heroes for the Polish community. And so as they're coming to the city of Detroit, monuments go up to honor them. Well, African-Americans have been here since the 1700s. They've been in Detroit since the 1700s. And they became the majority, at least by the 1970s. And really, it's like no one thought that, OK, so now you got black folks here. Maybe these slave owners might be a problem for this black community. Mm. So we've made nods to a number of communities whose, hi whose history is important in the city of Detroit. But uh, for the African-American community, it seems that there has to be a protest. There has to be a, 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 uh, a campaign 
for black people to remove racist imagery before someone says, you know what, maybe we shouldn't do that. These nods don't go the way they go for many other ethnic immigrants to the city of Detroit. They don't go that way for African-Americans in the city of Detroit. Hmm. Uh, Bill, you have spent a lot of time uh, thinking about and researching the history of uh, sort of homages to racist or oppressive figures uh, here in Detroit. Put the Columbus statue's removal uh, in some context for us. Well, uh the statue in Detroit is not the only statue of Columbus in Metro Detroit. There's one in Dearborn on mm. Oakland Boulevard, just north of Michigan. I'm sure there's some in Macomb County where a lot of Italians moved. Um, but, um, and I don't know that this is a problem, but this is a challenge. If you take down Columbus, um, there's lots of other um, ne'er-do-wells. Um, there's so many people who have namesakes in the streets of Detroit. Um, if you're going to uh, do something about that, then you'll probably want to start with Woodward and Jefferson, two, <laughs> Detroit's two busiest streets, basically, that meet where the Black Fist is, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, then, you know, there's um, the various other streets. Most of the streets in Detroit that have a French name um, on it are um, dedicated to people who owned slaves in Detroit in the 1700s. Um, the Catholic Church is something that doesn't get talked a lot about, but they were heavily involved in uh, slavery in the early days of Detroit. They baptized slaves. Slaves had to be baptized in the French period. Uh, They confirmed them, um, and um, they owned slaves, too. Mm. So I'm not saying, I'm not arguing in any way that Columbus shouldn't be dealt with, but there's many layers of this. Um, Partially, I think the problem is, American history was taught so poorly over the decades, and so many lies have been embedded in American history that sorting all this out right now uh, is complicated. Not that it shouldn't be done, but it's complicated. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking with Jamon Jordan and Bill McGraw. Jamon is a historian and educator and tour leader of the Black Scroll Network History and Tours. Bill McGraw is a longtime award-winning Detroit journalist and editor. We're talking about the removal, the recent removal, of the statue of Christopher Columbus, which has sat uh, for many years at the foot of, uh, at the foot of um, uh, Jefferson and Randolph in, in the city of Detroit. And we're also talking about the greater context of the conversation about figures like Christopher Columbus, which is all coming to a head right now as we see these massive demonstrations and protests against police brutality and systemic racism. Lots of people are saying there are lots of things in our culture, in our city uh, and nationally, that celebrate men who were oppressive, men who were racist, men who were slave owners, men who were part of building the foundation for the very systemic racism that these protests are aimed at today. So what should we do about those institutions? Uh, We want to hear from you as well what you think about removing the Columbus statue. Uh, Who else needs to come down? What else might need to be renamed? And would you suggest other people who might be memorialized in their place? Also, are you ready for a bigger social reckoning about racist figures whose names have permeated this community. Lots of names that you are very familiar with are actually associated with men who did pretty awful things when they were alive. 
Uh, again, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Um, uh, Jaman, I want to I sort of broaden the conversation a, a bit here to the idea of this reckoning, right? Um, it's one thing to take down a statue of of Columbus, uh, but, but these other names, these other people who are celebrated in our city, uh, with statues or streets or schools, uh, are are we ready to talk about those things? And if we do, what are the, what are the parameters? I think that's one of the things that, that, that scares a lot of people, right? Uh, they, they think that it's an effort to, to whitewash away, uh, right, history. one part of history in order to to uplift another. I'd, I'd love to to hear you talk about what's the responsible way to go about this work. Yeah. So um, first, we need to understand that the the monuments are more whitewashing than than than, than removing them. Um, the <laughs> the monuments themselves are honoring these people without telling their whole story. If the monuments had a much more complex history written on them, um, then maybe it wouldn't be such a push to remove them. If the monument to Christopher Columbus talked about all of the other things he did, and if the monuments to people, we have a George Washington monument right across the street from the former Christopher Columbus monument. If that monument didn't just salute George Washington, but talk more about the fact that he had 400 Africans enslaved on his plantation, Mount Vernon, uh, if it was if these monuments did more than just honor the people, if they were really educational tools, then there'd probably be less pushback to remove them. Mm. But they're not educational tools. They're honorifics. They just all they do is tell us that we ought to salute, honor and almost worship these people. And that is the problem with the monuments. And of course, yes, this is going this is a much wider debate and it becomes very complex and particularly when we're talking about institutions that have been embedded in the city of Detroit for so long. Mm. Moving, removing Columbus is much easier than changing the name of Cass Tech. <laughs> so, yeah, well you brought that up so I'm going to let you talk about that. Talk about Lewis Cass, who yes. he was and and how over, over many decades uh, that name has now become associated with a sort of black pride. I mean, there there is uh, an en- enormous community of graduates of Cast Tech who are African American and successful, yeah. and and would would I think uh, absolutely uh, shudder if you yeah. suggested to them that the name that they've adopted uh, should be changed. Yeah, and you're definitely right. Um, there was a movement. I was a part of that movement of maybe over a decade ago to change the name of Cass, change Cass campaign. Um, City Councilwoman Joanne Watson was um, a a spearhead of that movement as well. Um, And of course we learned, I learned that Lewis Cass was a slave owner. Um, And of course after that I learned that he did a lot of other stuff. He was the Secretary of War for Andrew Jackson. And of course he instituted the Indian Removal Act, which we now know as the Trail of Tears. Um, So I learned a lot more about Cass, but I learned the fact that he was a slave owner from Bill McGraw. Mm. (laughs) Um, Bill McGraw wrote an article during the 300th anniversary of the city of Detroit in 2001. He wrote a series of articles, but one of them was about slavery in the city of Detroit, which is how I learned that Detroit had slavery. So I learned this whole topic 
from Bill McGraw's article, his college, the article he wrote in 2001. So 19 years ago, reading the Detroit Free Press, that's how I learned that Detroit had slavery. Yeah. Uh, and so I found out that Lewis Cass was a slave owner. So once I found that out, of course, I was like, oh, hey, that's one of the most prestigious schools in the city of Detroit. How could we have a, the, one of the most prestigious schools in the city of Detroit, predominantly African-American, in a city predominantly African-American named after a slave owner. This would never happen. No, you know, and so I, I was part of a movement. I wasn't the only one, but I was a part of a movement to change the name. And of course, our biggest um, opponents were the Cast Tech Alumni Association. <laughs> yes. And of course, there's a, there's a Facebook page that responded to really what we were trying to do. There's a Facebook page called Cast Tech Must Remain Cast Tech. And that was really the mantra of the Castec Alumni Association when we just broached this issue um, about 15 years ago. Uh, we didn't pick it in the streets, and we didn't, you know, we didn't march. We didn't do those things, but we just wrote letters and began to talk about the issue. And they um, responded very vociferously about not changing the name of Castec. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Bill McGraw, uh, as Jamon said, you've written an awful lot about uh, slavery in Detroit and the things that we have that preserve the idea of those of those slave owners. Uh, talk about the, how widespread uh, that is. And I, I think there are a lot of people who don't know just how common it is for us to have named a street or put up a statue or... Uh, named another institution for, for people who did these things? Well, streets like Bobian, DeQuinder, McDougal, Grosbeck. Um, it wasn't just the French, by the way. It was obviously English and early Americans in Detroit who mm -hmm. owned slaves. Um, and like I said earlier, the part of the problem is that no one under, very few people understand the extent to which slaveholding uh, slave was common in early Detroit because it's not taught in school. Um, I'm a little um, distant from uh, school, um, but I know when I read my daughter's uh, textbook in the early 2000s, uh, there was nothing in her history, local history textbook about uh, slavery being part of Detroit. And as people in Detroit, kids in Detroit have learned for decades, slavery was Mississippi and Alabama, and it wasn't uh, in their own backyard. And um, I mean, you know, when you, it's, I think... Um, when you think of the people who were enslaved in Detroit, and they were both African Americans and Native Americans, in fact, uh, a lot of the Native Americans were enslaved in Detroit, uh, they're, they're still uh, buried underneath the streets of Detroit. And some of the streets of Detroit are named for slaveholders, including, as we said earlier, Woodward and Jefferson. Uh, so it's, it's almost like a, um, there's a spiritual d dimension to this, too, I think, that um, in this, the blackest city in America, these things have been percolating for a while. Um, and um, I think if people had a little um, more accurate, uh, be, if they were taught a little better about American history and especially about local history, I think the discussion we'd be having now would be, uh, you know, a lot different. And mm. you'd be seeing a lot fewer comments on Facebook where someone reads a story about uh, something about slavery in Detroit and they say, wow, I've lived here all my life and I didn't know that. And that's both African-Americans, um, Caucasians, and everybody else who lives here. It's just something that wasn't widely taught and isn't still widely taught. Hmm. 
you know, I also I also wonder how much um, I mean, the, the, the point about school is is really important uh, because, I mean, what you learn in school is your first encounter with these things. Um, I, I wonder how much we can do now, though, to get people kind of caught up, Bill. I mean, you've you've written a lot about this. I, I wonder what the response is when you do write about this from people. Uh, are, are they pleasantly surprised and 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 you know uh, you know pleased with the, the discovery aspect of this and the understanding? Or are, do you get a lot of people who say? Why are you bringing that up? Why do you want to talk about that? Um, there's both, but I think there's uh, less of the why are you bringing that up and more of the, oh, my God, I didn't know that. Um, I had the unique um, <clears throat> opportunity to tell two friends over the years, back you know, 20 years ago when I was really researching this, that their ancestors owned slaves in Detroit. And both of them are very uh, liberal people. And they just were astounded. They had no idea. They've been, you know, people who I would consider very anti-racist for white people. And then they were told and shown the proof that that their direct ancestors had owned slaves. Mm. So um, now that's an extreme case, of course. But people in general, I think, are really sort of fascinated to understand that there's a huge part of of Detroit history that they, they aren't aware of. And and a lot of people start asking themselves, well, why don't I know more about this? And the obvious answer goes back to education and everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Call and tell us what you think we ought to be doing about uh, statues and other public institutions that we have named for people who were slaveholders or racist or otherwise oppressive. Should we be rethinking those names? Should we be coming up with better names for them? Or should we be trying to put them in better context uh, so that people know who they were and what they did. Uh, let's go to Ed in Detroit. Ed, welcome to the show. This is, as usually, a timely and interesting subject. Um, the Cast Tech story reminds us that renaming monuments can be problematic. Um, but I think each generation gets to decide who will be honored and why they will be honored. Hmm. We always, though, have to remember that we all have feet of clay and that people a century from now will look at some of us and wonder why we are worthy of remembrance. And But, of course, that's not an argument against rethinking things. We have to do that. And, and while I learned... A bit earlier than one of your guests, that uh, Lewis Cass was a slave owner, uh, I, I can remember some heated arguments over why a school should be named for him. Uh, and although that's never been my primary argument, fight, my fight has always been honoring Confederate politicians and officers yeah. on military bases. Uh, and... Uh, but a, a good friend of mine has reminded me that my argument that these monuments should be put in history museums, there's an alternative. Put a plaque in front of the yeah, monument you know, that does a better job telling the story of the honoree. Yeah. Ed, I really appreciate the call and the thoughts. And, and, and Jamon, Jordan mentioned that approach as well earlier. 
Um, you know, all of this reminds me of a, of a personal story I want to I want to share. Uh, in the last five years, I've spent a lot of time uh, in Natchez, Mississippi, which is where my father is from, uh, going back and trying to learn more about where our family comes from and uh, what our family history looks like. And I have found uh, the, the the family that gave us our name, the Hendersons of of Natchez, Mississippi, were prolific slave owners uh, and slave traders uh, in that in that city. And there is still uh, in in a part of Natchez where they have antebellum mansions that they now call museums. Uh, there is uh, Memorial Hall, which is the home, which was the home of of the the the, the Henderson slave owning family. And I've been there. I've gone into the house and looked around at all of the things that they think are worth celebrating about that time, the clothing and the furniture and things like that. And in that entire house, there is no mention of the thousands of slaves that they owned over over many, many years and decades. Uh, there's just nothing in there that even acknowledges that this mansion that they're so proud of and these things that they're showing off uh, were all gotten uh, under a system in which uh, my family, uh, among lots of other people, uh, were, were slaves. And, and the, the, the realization of that, just the sort of stark slap in the face uh, that mm. that felt like uh, yes. to be in that house was, wow. was really powerful. Uh, wow. and, and you can't change the fact that 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 happened, but you can put it into a context that does not insult me uh, right. some 200 years later, uh, almost as badly as as the slavery insult was uh, to begin with. Forgetting about it, wiping it away mm -hmm. is as bad of a sin as I, I can think of. Uh, and I think that's kind of where we're where we're trying to make the point here. Uh, in Detroit, Jamon is yes. put it in context. Yes, Detroit is going to have, to, and, and and what you're saying is really indicative of the the so all of the myths that surround the period of slavery in in America. Um, one part of it is a distortion of what it really was, that it wasn't really as harsh as it was, it wasn't as brutal as it was, it wasn't as destructive to a group of people as it was. That's one distortion. Um, the other distortion is that it didn't do so much for the United States, and it it built this country. Mm -hmm. And then the third, the other distortion is the erasure of it, that it, it, it never really happened. Or you were not supposed to know that it ever happened. And of course, that's a major part of Detroit's problem on the slavery issue is that we're not even supposed to know that Detroit had slavery. We have been taught for so long that Detroit was a northern state and part of the Northwest Ordinance outlawed slavery in the Northwest territories, including Michigan. And so therefore, Detroit is a haven for freedom. It is not a place that had slavery. But slavery's history in America is much more complex. During the period of the 13 colonies, all the 13 colonies had slavery. Mm -hmm. And be before this was a part of the United States, this was French territory. And before, and then after that, Brit British territory. And slavery occurred during those periods. And when the United States took it over under the Northwest Ordinance, they allowed the French and British to continue practicing slavery. And some prominent Americans who should not have been allowed to practice slavery, they got away with it too, including Louis Cass and the Mason family, 
who we, of course, we know as the second territorial governor and the first state, I'm sorry, the fourth territorial governor and the first state governor, Mm -hmm. Stevens T. Mason. So um, we have slavery in Michigan's history. We have slavery in Detroit's history. And we have monuments honoring them without us ever knowing the fact that these people were slave owners and that Detroit had slavery. Slavery is a missing story. And I think that's how Bill wrote it up in 2019. He wrote up that this is like a missing story, um, a secret that that no one knows (laughs) that Detroit had slavery. Um, And that's a big that's the big problem behind um, the names of streets like Woodward Jefferson, Bobian, um, Rivard, St. Alban, DeQuinder, um, and Joan Francois Hamtramck. Mm-hmm. We have, so so the, the, his, the, the problem is that we didn't even know the, this story. We didn't even know that slavery came to Detroit. Right. And so now it's, it's all coming at once. You're learning about slavery and people are talking about removing monuments and changing street names all at the same time. And it's just, <laughs> it's, it, 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 is, it is a lot yeah. to deal with. Um, and so that is a part of the, the challenge that is that's going to be for for Detroiters today and for Detroit leadership and and people who have some level of clout to be able to do something about um, the, this issue. First, the education of slavery. And then second, what are we going to do with all these things named in honor of these people? Yeah. Yeah. OK. Jamon Jordan and Bill McGraw. It was really great to have you guys here for this conversation. Thank you very much uh, for being with us. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah. Thank All you right. so much. We're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we are going to continue this conversation with Bridge Magazine's Megan Lada Gupta, who is the Indigenous Affairs reporter for Bridge Magazine. Uh, stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Daniel in Detroit, John in Windsor, John on the East Side. We will get to you as well. We'll also get to some of the Twitter comments we have about this issue. And uh, if you want to join them, go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today or go to the WDET Facebook page. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. I'm Mary Zatina, WDET's general manager, with some facts and figures about our financial situation. WDET has 150,000 listeners each week. Only 8% of you support the station. Most of you don't financially support this service. As WDET faces a serious financial shortfall due to COVID-19 and its devastating impact, we need to raise $2 million before September 30th. If even half of you who have never given before make a first-time gift of $5 a month, we can meet our goal. Your donation can help change these numbers for the better. Please give at WDET.org. Thank you. Today on 101.9 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking this hour about statues and streets and other public institutions that bear the names of men who were slave owners or otherwise oppressive in their lives. We have those institutions here in the city of Detroit. We, of course, have them across the state of Michigan and nationally 
There are many of them as well. They are now the subject of a raging debate about whether they should continue in their current form, whether they should be contextualized to include information about the awful things that these people did, or whether they should just go away. And lots of people are taking the matter into their own hands uh, as we see statues being toppled uh, by the massive protests and demonstrations that we see taking place about police brutality and systemic racism. Joining us now to talk more about this issue is Megan Ladagupta. She covers tribal news in Michigan for Bridge Magazine, as founder of Indigenizing the News, a digital news source dedicated to educating non-Native allies about Native nations, cultures, issues, and knowledge systems. Megan Ladagupta, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hi, Steve. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, I'm glad you're here with us. Uh, Let's start with the Columbus statue being taken down here in the city of Detroit. Talk about the significance for indigenous people of seeing that happen. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, a lot of, you know, knowledge about Columbus is kind of glorified, and um, there's a lot of, you know, problematic stereotypes and false narratives about indigenous people today, often that we can contribute to Columbus. For example, the term Indian, which is used, I mean, today um, in so many ways in the government, um, in political spheres, you know, even mascots on team names, right, all come from the fact that when Columbus landed in the Americas, he actually thought he was in India. And so just called everyone Indians, regardless of different, you know, tribes, different peoples, different cultures, things like that. So, there's a huge amount of significance for indigenous peoples to see us reckoning with that really violent and just really problematic history and, you know, uplifting the voices of, you know, indigenous people and, you know, defining ourselves on our own terms. So I think it's really significant. And, and that legacy of Columbus, how well do you feel non-native peoples understand that and understand the pain that uh, <clears throat> that Native peoples associate with that name and with that with that figure? I don't think it's well understood at all. I think there's a growing understanding of it, and I've seen that happen a lot in the past few years with, I know Detroit has done this, and different cities renaming Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day. So mm-hmm. that's a start. But there has to be a more, you know, comprehensive understanding of the amount of indigenous peoples that, you know, existed since we, we say time immemorial. We don't even know when the start of that was because we've been here for so long. And that, you know, Columbus didn't discover America. We've always been here. We've always been stewarding these lands, these waters. We've had our own governments. We've had our own trade relations. And so people, some, a lot of people don't even know that Native Americans still exist today because we're often deemed as a, a people of the past or, you know, there's presentations of us as primitive people. And so when you see something like that, it makes it hard to think that we're really understanding the legacy of Columbus, the true legacy of what that meant for indigenous peoples. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones to join the conversation about uh, streets and statues and other institutions that celebrate men who were oppressive in their lives. Let's go to John in Windsor. John, welcome to the Morning. show. Morning. Hey. Um, great conversation. 
It's interesting, as I'm a uh, 64-year-old Caucasian, and people say, well, what do you have to do to weigh into this conversation? My family was brought over in 1685 as indentured servants from Europe, which is another term of slavery, mm-hmm. right? It's just you were owned by the person. The other side of my family is First Nations in Washington, of which 95% of our tribe was wiped out within 10 years of the Europeans showing up with their diseases. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very interesting to, to look at the overall situation and not just make generic comments of, oh, you can't comment on this. I also suggest everybody should go out to the North Buxton uh, Black Historical Museum to understand what it's like mm-hmm. and what really brought me to my knees when I was there, when I was standing on a trading block where black 12-year-old kids were auctioned off and the shackles were there to fit the wrist of children. It's heartbreaking. Wow. Um, so, so John, I, 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 I'm really glad you, you brought that up. Um, and, and I, I want to make clear to our listeners, John lives in Windsor and he's talking about uh, a, a national historic site and museum in Ontario uh, that um, that commemorates uh, the slavery um, the, the slavery trade uh, that was going on there. It's it's a reminder that this is not just uh, an American in the sense of our country issue. It is an American issue in terms of the continent uh, that that we live on. Um, John, I also would love to have you just quickly talk about w- what your reaction is to the Columbus statue coming coming down. Well, you know, we were all raised, I was raised in the States, right? And, you know, Christopher was the great guy who showed up, right? And everybody was happy, except that he totally obliterated the Arawak tribes in the Caribbeans, the, the Indians down there, the natives, just, you know, yeah. genocide itself. It's very difficult. You know, my father was uh, German, um, family roots. My mother was, was First Nation. And he said, no, we don't talk about First Nations. Hmm. We, we, we leave it there. It's not something we talk about. He wasn't proud about it. I'm incredibly proud about of my, my Native heritage itself. Hmm. And um, at times, we tend to forget that First Nations, um, we were considered less than... than uh, yourself, African American. Um, we were just killed. Yeah. There was no. Right. We weren't right. used as as housekeepers and you know, uh, slave owner. It's we a, were just eradicated. Yeah. Um, it's a genocide, uh, which which uh, I think is an important word to get into the conversation. <clears throat> John, I really appreciate the call and and your thoughts. Uh, Megan Lada, um, talk about what kind of structural and policy changes might be more meaningful, even than the removal of statues like the Columbus one. Yeah, one thing that I have been thinking a lot about in my role with my newsletter and just in my, my own work um, as a student at Yale right now is thinking about what it would look like to have a national curriculum for indigenous histories for K-12 through schools. And that will look different across all the different states, obviously, because there's such a wide diversity of tribal nations, histories, cultures, interactions, you know, but what would it look like to have, you know, let's say every 
third and fourth grader learn, like, here's the history of, you know, tribal life, indigenous life in your state. And, you know, who's still here? Like, can we go talk with an elder? Do they have a cultural museum? Can we, you know, attend one of the events? And, and that way, you know, people growing up can understand that not only indigenous people, not only were they here before us, but they're also still here and still practicing their beliefs, their cultures, and, you know, they're, they're our neighbors and just people in our community. Okay, Megan Lada Gupta uh, covers tribal news in Michigan for Bridge Magazine and is the founder of Indigenizing the News, a digital news source dedicated to educating non-Native allies about Native nations, cultures, issues, and knowledge systems. It is always great to talk with you, but it was especially great to have you here to talk about this issue, Megan Lada. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. Okay, that's going to do it for us today. I will be back tomorrow, and I hope you will too. We're going to have an hour-long conversation with sociology professor and author Alex Vital about the financial and social costs of our current policing system and how we could do better. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.